In a day when chaos reigns, at a time when spiritual darkness covers the face of the earth, there is a movement. A groundswell of change is happening. God is being true to his word and keeping his promise. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. The gospel of Jesus Christ is that standard, and it is being lifted up like a mighty banner of hope for all to see. Men, women, students, and children are all finding life in that banner. The church is waking up. A mighty army is coming together to proclaim truth, righteousness, the forgiveness of sins, and the power of God's word. Jesus is building his church. And in spite of those who try to silence it, shut it down, and stop its work, not even the gates of hell will prevail against it. This is a move of the Spirit of God. This is a move to lift high the banner. This is a move of the church. Join the movement. Amen. The Lord is in this place. Amen. He is here. He is speaking. He is alive. He is transforming hearts. He's healing. He's restoring what's been broken and doing what most have thought would be impossible. Amen. And he's not finished. He is still active. And I want to be a part of whatever that is. Amen. So today we've gathered as the church to boldly proclaim and believe those promises and act in response to them. He is the head and we are the body and whatever he says, we will be willing to do. Amen? Amen. So it's been an exciting uh, year for us in spite of uh, some weird things that have happened this year, COVID and all those kind of things in our family. Uh, we've been having grandbabies in our family. And uh, Holly and Ryan had one over the weekend. Baby Haven Vandenberg was born. She was six pounds, 12 ounces, and uh, she's doing, <clears throat> excuse me, very, very well. And mom's doing well, dad's doing well, and uh, sister and brother are doing well as well. So I appreciate um, your prayers for them. And uh, Holly had a rough week this past week getting in to the whole labor process, but the Lord was strong and faithful to her in the process. So we're grateful for Haven. I kept singing that song we were singing earlier, Heaven Come Down, so I kept singing Haven Come Down this week. So uh, it was a fun week. Um, God is moving. And throughout history, God has been faithful to move. Um, though you have to do some research yourself, it's not public, um, it's not part of general information anymore. There are and have been great movements of God throughout history. Even in our own United States, there have been historical moves of God. If you go back to 1850, the late 1850s, there was a movement in that day that some called the Great Businessman's Revival. And it happened in New York City, of all places. It happened at a time when they had faced record growth. In a matter of 40, 30 to 40 years, New York City had grown from 124,000 people to 814,000 people. It's a lot of growth in a relatively short amount of time. However, it was also a time of great industrialization. And so there was a difficulty amongst farmers and so loans were going out 
to wheat farmers in overabundance and without substantiation. And so there began to be financial woes with that kind of growth and a changing economy. Banks were beginning to close. Stock market was falling. People were losing their jobs. Revivals come in cycles with conditions like that. Sound familiar? Hello, y'all still there with me? Yeah, okay, all right. Let me adjust this so it doesn't just keep. Violent crime was also on the rise. Riots were pretty commonplace. And you might think, well, it was all because of the financial issues and the massive growth they faced. Yes, but not really not. It was really an issue of spiritual darkness. History likes to pin it on financial issues, changing market conditions, but it always comes back to the spiritual condition of the people. When the hearts are right, an economy can be right. But when the hearts are wrong, an economy will always be wrong. Just mark that down. The real reason at the time was spiritual darkness. The people were trusting in their riches. People had turned to their sin and pleasure. The people had turned to their own ingenuity to try to fix things, and it was not working. And as a result, there was great anxiety. There was stress. There was alcoholism as a result. There was immorality. There was a breakdown of the family. The whole culture was in collapse not just because of finances, but because they had stopped making Jesus Lord of their life. One man with a burden in New York City decided something had to be done. His name was Jeremiah Lanfier. Jeremiah was on staff at a church in New York City called the North Dutch Church. He had been a businessman, but God had called him into ministry, and so he was well aware of the business dealings, the culture, and the climate. He knew the people, and now being in ministry, his heart was for those very people who were considering taking their lives, whose families were falling apart. And Jeremiah said, something has to be done. And he said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Great, great question. God spoke to Jeremiah and said, I want you to open a church. It's in a downtown area. I want you to make it available for businessmen to come pray. So Jeremiah did. He didn't know how it was going to go. But he made some handbills and he had to pass them out and he made himself available for those who wanted to come. And then they decided to switch to daily meetings. And the prayer movement among the businessmen during the day began to grow. Before long, it had spread to other churches in New York City. Before long, revival was beginning to break out across the United States at that time. Fifteen different revivals broke out. That year, one million people were added to church roles across the land. 
because God moved in their hearts. And it started because one man was willing to say, Lord, what do you want me to do? And he responded. Those kind of movements mark the history of the world. Those kind of movements start when someone says, God, I sense you moving in me. Now I will move for you. I will get past my pride. I'll get past being concerned about what other people think. I'll get past fear of what could happen. I will be sold out to you. And Lord, whatever you want me to do, I will do. This is how great movements have always begun. And this is how the next great movement in our land will begin. Because one, because one family, because one church will say, Lord, what do you want us to do? And sensing that move, they will move. They will do whatever is necessary in that moment to follow God. Today, our message is called Movement Demands Movement. We're going to see from Scripture a very, very similar story of how the movement of the church began with a man who was willing to say, Lord, what do you want me to do. The fact that you and I are sitting right here today, we owe in part to that man. We've talked about how Jesus became the foundation for the church, but the man in the New Testament who is most responsible for the formation of the church and the teachings that we have today is the Apostle Paul. And we have in Scripture the opening part of his story. In fact, before he was the Apostle Paul, his name was Saul. We're going to be in the book of Acts today. If you want to turn to Acts 9, I'll give you a little bit of setup for our man Saul. Saul was a very religious man when we meet him. Religious in the sense that he knew the Jewish laws. He was, in fact, an expert in those laws. He knew the law he knew the heritage of God, the history of God. He was responsible for teaching others the laws and ways of God. He was proficient. He had excelled. He was on the fast track for being moved up because he knew more than most. And he lived out this law. He was incredibly disciplined. He kept the law. By his own words, he said, but listen, being able to perform religiously in front of others does not make anybody right with God. Just because you can look good in front of a crowd on a Sunday morning and say the right things and maybe do the right things in front of other people does not make you right with God. What makes you right with God is when your heart breaks and you humbly cry out to him and your heart is changed. And then you begin to do right things because you've been made right. If you think doing some right things is going to make you right, you got it wrong. Hello? It's true. 
And the Apostle Paul was, or Saul, before we knew him as Apostle Paul, Saul was that guy. Saul was the guy who thought he had it all right because he knew a lot, could say a lot, could teach a lot, could impress a lot. But inside, Saul had an issue. He hated Jesus. And he hated anybody who was a follower of Jesus. Saul was a Pharisee. Saul was part of the group who saw that Jesus was arrested and crucified. That's the group he belonged to. So here is a man who is outwardly looking pretty good, but inwardly is full of all kind of darkness. Outwardly looks right, inwardly full of hate. Outwardly trying to be impressive, inwardly full of disgust. And this begins to be a problem. Saul was a hypocrite. The good news is God was moving on Saul's behalf. And our story picks up today in verse 1 of chapter 9. It says, Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest. Do you see a bit of hypocrisy and problem here? Here is a man who outwardly could look pretty impressive, but here was a man on the inside that he tried to hide from others, full of hate, wanting to murder, verse 2, and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. If you professed to be a follower of Jesus, you were in the target of Saul. He was coming after you. It didn't matter whether you were a man or a woman. He was going to arrest you and see that you were imprisoned. His heart was incredibly dark. Verse 3, as he journeyed, he came near Damascus and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. You see, God had been pursuing Saul. God had been working. God had been speaking. And God was about to change Saul's circumstances in order to get his attention. Know this. God will always turn up the volume of tension in your life when he needs to get your attention. God will turn up the tension to get your attention because what he wants is our heart. He's not after your religious performance. He's not after your plastic faith. He's not after you trying to impress other people around you. He's after you, your heart, not to punish you, not to destroy you, but to change you, to bless you, to show you his glory, to call you to walk in his ways so that you might know life and have it more abundant. And God sets his sight on Saul, and he's pursuing Saul. Saul won't listen, so God turns up the temperature and says, all right, Saul, here we go. You're on your way to Damascus. 
we're about to begin a new journey in your life. And it says, a light shone from heaven around him. Saul's carrying on his business. He's being as religious as he knows how to be. He's filled with anger, and in this moment, God shines a new light on him. Aren't you glad that God shines light on us when you're still doing the stupid stuff in your life? Hello? And this is one of those moments. Saul is doing some incredibly stupid stuff right here. He's going in his own way, doing his own thing, and God intercepts him and shines light on him. He's about to reveal something fresh to him. It comes from heaven, verse 4. It says, then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So fascinating that Saul thought he had it all right. He thought by impressing others, he was doing right. He thought by being religious, he was being right. He thought by just being good, he was doing right. And that by trying to force other people to do good, he was doing right. And here, God shines a light on him and says the words that a Pharisee, a skilled man of the law, who made it his career to be right with God, would never want to hear. God was saying to him, Saul, you are not right with me. You are pushing against me. You, Saul, are persecuting me. Now, that would hurt anybody to hear, but this is Saul, the religious, passionate lawkeeper of God. And he addresses him by name, Saul. Saul, you are troubling me. Verse 5 says that Saul responded, which is just interesting to me that it took Paul to this point before he responded. It wasn't until he was on the ground, face to the ground, blinded by the light, knocked out in a sense, not able to do anything else. All he could do in this moment was just hear God. God will sometimes bring you to places where you are down and not able to do anything so that he can truly show you who he is and you will see who he is. Amen? He will. Not because he wants to hurt you, not because he wants to make your life miserable, because sometimes that's what it takes to get our heart to crack and cry out to him. We're that stubborn, you know it. We're that resistant, you know it. Hello. I hope you're not saying an arrogance, oh, not me. Because that's everybody in this room. There ain't nobody in here that can escape this moment because we all know what it's like to push back, to resist, to refuse, to act like he is not talking to me and God, I know you must be talking to them because they need it a whole lot more than I do. Hello? Now, today, it's about you, me, and in this story, it was about Saul. And Saul finally cried out and he said, Who are you, Lord? What an amazing statement. 
the man who was an expert in the law all of a sudden has a moment where he looks at Jesus and says, who are you, Lord? Here was something about God Saul didn't know. God will bring you to those moments. And it's important that we know how to respond in those moments. To not act like we got our act together, that we're perfect. We got it all figured out. But instead, in this moment, Saul says, who are you, Lord? This is something I wasn't counting on. This is something I didn't know. This is something about you that is unclear to me. This is something I've blocked out. This is something I've overlooked. This is something I had not seen. And Saul, the man who thought he knew everything, is clueless in this moment, and God is moving. Verse 5, the second part says, Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Saul, I'm the one who loves you. I'm the one who walked among you and your people. I am the one who was crucified by angry men like yourself. I am the one who rose again on the third day. I am the one who returned to heaven and has been seated at the right hand of the Father on high. And Saul, why? Why are you persecuting me? Why are you ravaging my church? Why are you persecuting my people? Why are you being so savage? Why are you hurting the very people I love and the ones I've called? Saul, why are you doing this? You're persecuting me. You're fighting against me. You're warring against me. Saul, you're hurting me. You are pushing back on me. Saul, you're not right. Your heart is far from me. And Saul is stunned in this moment. Sometimes it takes God bringing us to places of absolute inability and brokenness before we'll look up and say, Lord, I don't know who you are. I don't know even what you're doing. I don't know what's going on. And in those moments, Jesus speaks fresh. And he speaks new. And then it says something fascinating that God says or that Jesus says to him. He says, it's hard for you to kick against the goads. Now, this is weird because you and I are not familiar with goads. Unless you farm oxen, maybe some goats. And some of you have goats, but I don't think anybody here has any oxen and farms like the way they used to. But if you were an ox farmer or driver or seller, you knew that you had to move the ox from time to time. If you're going to work him in the field, if you're going to take him into the city, if you're going to sell him, if you're going to use him for anything, you have to keep this ox moving. And sometimes oxen can be like donkeys where they get stubborn and they have their own will and they won't move. 
But if you're a farmer, you got to keep the ox moving. Because if you can't keep the ox moving, then you can't have any fruit from your labor. If there's no movement, there's no change. There's no life. So you've got to be able to keep the ox moving. And so farmers, men who work with ox, would have a goad, a stick with a hook on the end of it. So I created my own version of that today. Here's a stick with a hook on the end of it, kind of like a goad. And the farmer would come along, and if the ox was not doing what he needed to, he would just reach out and thunk, right in that backside, give a little poke like, oh, okay, keep moving, move along. Now, that's not what you want to have to do. You don't want to hurt your oxen. But every once in a while, an oxen needs some extra encouragement, and it came in the form of a goad because sometimes they would get stubborn. Sometimes they wouldn't move. Sometimes they wouldn't respond to your verbal encouragement. Sometimes they wouldn't move when you put food out in front of them. So they had to apply a little pain. Whoo! Punk. Just a little thunk. Just a little prick. Just a little hit. Just a little poke on the backside would cause an ox to move along. Hello? He will. And here Jesus was saying to Saul, Saul, son, do you not realize you are causing yourself more harm because you are kicking against the very thing I'm using to move you forward? You're kicking against the goad. And if you kick against this, you're going to hurt yourself. If the ox decided he was going to lash out at Mr. Ox Driver, He would kick back, but that would only potentially cause more harm and hurt because he was kicking against the goad. And this is what's been happening to Saul for a while. He's been kicking against the move of God in his life. He was pushing back. And Jesus was saying, Saul, I've been pursuing you. I've been after your heart. I am that tension that you feel inside. I am the circumstance arranger of life. I am the one that was there. When you allowed Stephen, the follower of Jesus, to be stoned, Acts tells us that story in Acts chapter 7. Stephen was brought in front of a group, and because he would not stop preaching about who Jesus was, they stoned him. They picked up stones and began to just crush him to the point that he died. And the Bible says that Saul stood there giving agreement. And Jesus was saying to Saul, I was there when that happened And that guilt, that shame, that tension that you felt in your heart, that was me. I am the one who's been after you. I've been pursuing you. I've been arranging the events of your life. And you, Saul, have been kicking back against me. You've been resisting me. You've been trying to keep your own ways. You've been arrogant. You've been resistant. You've been stubborn. And you have pushed back. And it has been hurting you. It's hard to kick against the goads, Saul. Verse 
6 says, So he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what do you want me to do? It took a lot to get Saul to that place. But this is where he needed to have been all along. This is where the heart of Saul needed to be. Because when God starts moving in your life, this is what you want to say. Lord, what do you want me to do? When he moves and we move, it starts a movement. Amen? I want us to make some application here and think about five ways that we can respond to the movement of God. So if you're taking notes, you're welcome to use your phone, take some pictures of all these here. Some very important points we're going to make some application with here today. First is this. God is actively moving forward or moving his kingdom forward. He always has been and he always will. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and that God is an active God. He is not absent. He is present. He is not alone. He is Trinity, and he is full of all of his essence and his being, and he fills all and is in all. Not as the New Agers say, but our God is present and he is active. He has a purpose and he is moving forward. Isaiah says, or the Spirit said through Isaiah in chapter 46, I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. You're not going to stop God. He will do what he is going to do. That's why Jesus could say with confidence, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. There is no stopping what God is doing. He is active. He is moving forward. He has purpose. He started it before the day of creation ever first began. It was already in his counsel and in his plans, and it will continue until the very end. He will bring to pass what he has chosen to bring to pass. You may not see it, understand it, comprehend it, feel it, but he's active in doing it. Number two. God is actively moving you forward. It is his desire for you to experience him and to move forward in faith. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance in him. He is actively moving heaven and earth for that to happen. Not just for you to have a one day where you're saved and then you go back to living your life. No, so that you can be saved and then begin a process of transformation where you are actually conformed to the very image of Jesus Christ. Where he is working by his spirit in you, by the circumstances around you, by his word spoken to us that we read as well. That is transforming us and changing us. And you and I are meant to be in a continual process of change. If you can look back at your life and say, wow, I can't account for anything significant spiritual that's happened over the last year. My heart breaks for you. My heart breaks for me when I go through those times because that's not what God intended. 
You and I should be in this continual process of transformation where the way we think is changed, the way we feel changes, and we're not driven by our feelings, but they should change. The way we prioritize our life should change. The way he's revealing himself to you should be fresh. You maturing, you growing, you changing, you moving forward, you going to places that you've yet to be in your faith and in your life. Your marriage moving forward, your family moving forward, Christ in you, in your career moving forward, you in your own character, integrity, and life moving forward. Every one of those has been designed by God to be in process of change. He is moving and he's moving in you. That's his plan. So really, you and I never have to pray, God, would you move in me? Look, he's already moving. You don't have to say, God, would you speak to me? He's already speaking. God, would you change me? He's already changing. Stop asking and do what he said. Hear that word that's already being spoken. Listen to that spirit that's already moving in you. Obey what he's already told you to do. He's already moving. He calls us now to move in response to his movement. This is the process. This is what he's called us to. God calls us to move with his movement. That's our third point this morning. You were not called to be spiritually stagnant. Have you ever been around some stagnant water that just sits there? There's no movement through it. And it begins to turn this nasty, dark, greenish, black, brown color. And stuff starts growing in it. It's all greenish and mildewy and moldy and stuff's in it. And it gets gross and it starts to smell because some things have kind of backwashed up into that area. It's all nasty, stagnant water. You and I were never, ever called to stagnant spiritual life. God is moving God is moving us, and if there's stagnancy, it's because we have stopped moving. We're not called to being stagnant. We're not called to being stuck. We're not called to inactivity in our faith. We're not called to go through the motions. We're not called to even fake it till we make it. We are called to live it because he's in it. Jesus doesn't even like that phrase, fake it till you make it, because that's what the Pharisees said. Hello. We're called to movement, genuine movement. Saul was a faker to try to make her, and it didn't work in his life. Hello. You were made in Christ for conquering life, greater faith, maturity, and a continual process of transformation. Let me show you what it's like. Let me have my faithful uh, illustration guy, Nick, come up here. Yeah, give Nick a hand. All right, so Nick is gonna be us. He represents all of us. Aren't you glad, because he's so good looking, right? It's awesome. All right, so here's Nick, <clears throat> and let's imagine Nick lost first, okay? Sorry, Nick, you just lost your salvation. No, just stay right there, you're good. 
I get to be the Holy Spirit this morning. That's awesome, right? All right. So here's the Holy Spirit moving. Watch. The Holy Spirit comes moving, and he all of a sudden approaches Nick one day. Don't go anywhere yet. And he speaks to Nick. And he begins to cause events in Nick's life to change. And Nick's heart breaks because of the circumstances going on around him and what the Spirit is doing in here. The Spirit's speaking to him. And because the Word of God is alive and the Spirit is alive and these circumstances are all speaking, Nick responds to all of that and says, Lord Jesus, what do you want me to do? That actually happened for Nick. If you've heard Nick's story, that happened for him. He's a different man than he used to be. When that process begins, the Holy Spirit is moving because the Holy Spirit's always moving. God is always moving forward. The goal is Jesus out there, okay? And so the Holy Spirit comes along, and when Nick is born again, he begins a process of moving Nick forward. And he begins to take steps of faith. He begins to obey. He's baptized. He follows Christ in baptism. He begins to change his habits. He begins to leave the alcohol and drugs that he had been a part of. He begins to leave the rebellion that he had been a part of. His heart is softened, and he begins to walk with Christ. He begins to read the word of God. He begins to pray. He begins to surround himself with other believers to speak life into his life, and he begins to move forward. This is the process of movement. This is what is meant to happen. Now, look here. For movement to happen, Nick had to leave where he was. You can't stay where you were if you're going to move forward into all that Christ has for you. It means leaving where you were. It means leaving what you did. It means leaving those attitudes and that heart behind. And it means walking in obedience. And Jesus is faithful to give you the steps of obedience that you can do at this point in your life. Here's what Jesus won't do. He won't give you at this point in your life the steps that are needed at this point in your life because he's got to get you from there to here to there before he'll give you what's needed for there. Are you with me? So Nick leaves where he was. Nick begins to obey, and Nick begins to move forward. He starts having to go into places he hasn't been before. This is all new out here. Nick meets a girl who's beautiful and godly, and her parents did everything right. That's right. Yeah, not everything right, but she is beautiful. And so they got married. Nick had never been in that world before of what it means to be a Christian godly man as a husband, as a father, as a family member, as someone who lives out his faith instead of living out of his sin. And so God calls him forward, and Nick takes the steps into places he had never been before. That's what movement is. You leave where you were, and you go to places you haven't been, and you're willing to do that. You don't say along the way, I don't know. I mean, I've never been over there before. I mean, I don't, I don't even know what all that's like. It just makes me nervous. And in fact, there's sometimes it just feels more comfortable. Nick might even think it's more comfortable back over here. But it's not. So Nick keeps moving forward. This is what God calls us to, movement. He's moving. He calls us to move. And the right response is to move with him. Whatever he says, we do it. 
And what we're learning is a pattern that says, Jesus speaks, I move. Jesus speaks, I move. And this is what you and I are called to. Now, let's just leave Nick right here for just a moment. Because Nick's going to figure into our next point here. And it is this. Pressure builds when we resist God's move. In this process of change and becoming more like Christ and being obedient and following after the Spirit's leading in our life, it happens sometimes that you and I reach a place where we say, I ain't doing it. I don't want to move forward. It looks scary. I haven't been there before. I'm going to have to make some hard choices. I don't know if I like that. I'm not sure what people will think could be awkward. Someone might laugh at me. Someone might think I'm crazy. And so sometimes what happens in our life is we stop. And remember, the Holy Spirit is always moving. God is always moving. And so if you willingly stop, guess what? Thank you. You're about to face some pressure in your life because remember the Holy Spirit's moving, so here comes the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit doesn't have to strain, really, but that's what happens. The Spirit comes along, and he begins to push and apply some pressure. Now, what you can't feel right now, but you might be able to see, is Nick pushing back on me. He's pushing. He's resisting me. He has stubbornly put his foot down and is pushing back on my movement. This is what was happening to Saul. He was pushing back on God's movement in his life. And so, <laughs> I'm glad I get to be the Holy Spirit this morning. <laughs> so what, what God will do is he'll bring some goading along in our life. He will. He'll bring, yeah, you can turn around and face that way. Don't worry. You don't, you don't want to see what God was doing, so you wouldn't follow him, so here he goes. So God in that moment, I really won't, I won't hurt you, Nick. Too bad. So God will, he'll bring the goat along, and he'll, he'll poke, and he'll prod. You'll hear him speak. It, he wants us to just listen in our heart and hear him and respond. Amen? That's the plan. He speaks, we move. He speaks, we move. He speaks, we move. That's the pattern. That's the movement. That's how movement happens. But all of a sudden, he speaks, I stop moving, goad time. And that's what happens. God gets the goad out, and all of a sudden, kink, gives a little, punk, little poke here and there. And stuff all of a sudden just starts going off the rails. It's crazy how that happens, because even sometimes an ox will resist the goading. Now, if that happens, God is faithful. If you are going to be stubborn and resistant and refuse, God will begin to do stuff in your life. He'll begin to say, all right, you don't want to move? Great, here we go. I'm about to do some stuff. You, you don't want to move forward with me? All right. I have big plans for your life. I got stuff I really want to do. There you go. Now try to move forward. <laughs> you see, when you and I resist and get stubborn, God will do whatever it takes to get our heart back in the place 
of responding to him to say, I hear you, Lord, I'll respond. That's the goal. Jesus speaks, we move. And stuff will go all wonky in your life when you stop listening and moving. Stuff will absolutely go off the rails. Relationships that you thought were rock solid, all of a sudden will just take a hard left. Finances will go, tension rises in your heart. Struggles. You can't figure it out. You don't know what to do. So you turn to some things to sedate the feelings. You turn to some things to medicate the feelings. I've got all this tense and tense pressure and depression and struggle in my life. I don't know what to do about it. And someone will tell you to take some medication instead of getting right with God. And then some people will say, well, you know, I just need a drink to just, I could just get a drink. I could really feel better about what's going on in my life right now. And so they turn to alcohol. They turn to drugs because they need something to release the pressure that's in their head, that's in their emotions, and that is now affecting their body. There's all kind of physical issues that are going on because they have resisted what God is trying to say to them and do in their life. There will be mental, emotional, and physical stress that come from resisting God. It happens. It's painful. It's painful to watch. It's painful to be a part of. And you think, well, you know, life sometimes just looks like this anyway. Hello? Sometimes life just goes all wonky, not because of anything we've done. Jesus was a man who was perfectly righteous and things went awry for him, right? So how do you know if this is just part of life, if this is actually part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus because he said there would be persecution, or is this actually from a resistant heart in me? How do you know? I'm so glad you asked. There is and there are ways to know. Make some notes. Search the word of God first. What does God say about your life right now? What are you doing? Is it in line with scripture? If you can say yes, move on to number two. Pray. Ask God. God, what are you trying to say to me? I want to understand your ways. I submit my life to you. Third thing, listen to the Spirit of God speak within you. If there is a tension and awkwardness, a resistance, he will let you know. He will speak directly to you about that. And the fourth thing that many people will not do Seek the counsel of godly people. We like to hide all this. Nobody likes to bring all this with them everywhere they go. And if you're uncertain as to whether this is from God as a way of correcting 
and disciplining, then get with some other people you trust and say, I'm going to make myself vulnerable to you. Here's what I'm experiencing in my life. Help me. Help me know whether this is discipline from God or just part of his plan for developing character in my life. This is what you do. When you do that, you'll put your heart in a right place and everything will change. But what about all this mess? Look, God has promised he will make a way in the desert. He will open up the sea and make a way where there seems to be no way. And when your heart responds, he'll begin to move things in your life. He'll begin, he'll begin to put things where they are intended to be. He will make a way where there seems to be no way when we submit our heart to him and make things right and then we'll move forward again and we will never say look what I did we will say Lord you did this like only you could and we get back on the path of movement amen hey give Nick a hand thank you <laughs> pressure builds when we resist God's move our last point this morning the right response to God is to move with him. Here's what the Bible says happened next to Saul. It says, Then the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Saul did the right thing. He had a heart that said, Lord, Lord, you are Lord, not me. What do you want? What do you want? And he said, me to do. Lord, what do you want me to do? And God spoke to him. Jesus spoke to him right there in that day. He said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to get up and go into the city. And there you'll get further instruction. Interesting first step. Interesting instruction for Saul. But this is the pattern God wants us all to walk in. He speaks, we move. He doesn't always give the Google map version that you and I have always come so accustomed to now. You punch in where you want to go and it tells you the whole map. It shows you traffic along the way, shows you alternate routes to take, and you go that way. God says, it doesn't work that way with me. I give you next step and you take it. And then I'll tell you what to do next. Because this is the faith way. You speak, I move. You speak, I move. What had to end for Saul was, I figure it all out, then I move. And Jesus brought him to that place. This is what he calls us all to today. Movement demands movement. It demands that you and I stop resisting stop being stubborn, and we get to the place where we say, Lord, I've been stuck. I've been stagnant. I've been stale. I've been empty. 
I'm still in the same place I was a long time ago. I have no passion. I have no desire. And I'm tired. And I'm ready to move. When you and I get to that place, and we will actually move, there will be a revival that will break out. That's been my prayer for us in this series, that we'd be willing to do whatever God called us to. And if that means for you taking the very first step and saying, I need to be saved. I don't know that I'm right with God. I need a relationship with Jesus Christ. I need my sins forgiven. Would you take that step? If that step for you is saying, I need to be baptized, I need to take the very first obedience step and make my faith public, that you'd take that step. If it's a step of coming to an altar to pray, to say, Lord, what do you want me to do? That you do that. We change the atmosphere of our family and a church when we choose to act in obedience. When we sit stubborn, resistant, and rejecting what he's saying, nothing changes around us. So this morning, I'm going to pray. The band is getting ready for us to sing. We're going to sing this morning. And we're going to respond to God. Amen? And I want you to feel a measure of freedom to do whatever God is asking you to do. Because if we're going to say, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then we need to have a space where you can do whatever the Lord wants you to do. Hello? If that means turn to your spouse and talk to them or pray with them, you do that. If that means gather your family up and you say to them what God's put on your heart, you do that. If that means get with a friend to pray, if that means get with somebody to reconcile, if that means two people come down here, a family come down here, whatever it is, you move on that. You do what the Lord is saying to do because movement demands a movement. Amen? Stand with me as we pray this morning. Father, I know you are speaking today. I know you're calling us to movement in our life. And God, I ask you to forgive us the places we've been stubborn, resistant, stagnant, stale, and refuse to acknowledge it. Or we've been more concerned about what other people think about us than what you think about us. We've been more concerned about our own comfort than about obedience to you. I'm asking for a break from all of that today. Spirits of resistance, you have no place here because this is the blood-bought body of Jesus Christ here this morning. The Spirit of God is alive in this place. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit, and we are here to follow what he says. So this morning, God, break what needs to be broken, move in us, and may we have hearts to move. We ask all this in the powerful, mighty, and moving name of our Lord Jesus and all God's people said, Amen.